Welcome back to the Game Masters Academy. This is the show where we try to make every session great. Uh, thank you for joining me. My name is Greg. And uh, before we get started, a couple quick announcements. Uh, I'm sure you've heard me say this before, but at the beginning of the year, I'm going to be starting a Patreon. Uh, also, the uh, podcast information has a link to a Discord server that I currently play on. And so if you'd like to join me, uh, follow the link. Come on over. It is a West Marches style server, uh, and uh, we'd love to have you. Uh, so for this week's combat corner, I want to take a look at vampires, which are uh, kind of interesting in 5e. And so I will uh, we'll pull that up real fast, take a look at it. Uh, it's CR 13, 120 foot dark vision, uh, resistances, um, BPS and necrotic. Uh, as well as uh, pretty high stealth. Uh, vampires are shape changers and undead. Uh, so shape changer ability means it can turn into a tiny bat or a medium cloud of mist or back to its true form. Uh, in bat form, it is basically a bat. And in mist form, it can do nothing but fly. It can cover, uh, can hover, sorry. And then also can enter a hostile creature's space and stop there. Uh, in addition, if it can pass through uh, a space that mist can, it can do so without squeezing. Uh, can't go through running water and has advantage on strength, dexterity, and constitution saving throws. Uh, it is immune to all non-magical damage, except the damage it takes from sunlight. Uh, gains legendary resistances. Uh, Misty Escape uh, is uh, unique to the vampire. Basically, you drop it to zero hit points. It turns into that mist that we just talked about flies to the vampire's resting place and then it reverts to its vampire form and is paralyzed for an hour when it then gains one hit point. So defeating the vampire in combat is not how you destroy it. You have to defeat it, follow it, and then kill it in its resting place. Gains regeneration, uh, 20 hit points as long as it uh, does not. That's kind of interesting here. So it, I'll just read it. The vampire regains 20 hit points at the start of its turn if it has at least one hit point, isn't in sunlight, or in running water. If the vampire takes radiant damage or damage from holy water, the trait doesn't function at the start of the vampire's next turn. Spider climb, uh, and then it has four unique weaknesses. Uh, forbiddance, which means the vampire cannot enter a residence without an invitation from one of the occupants. Uh, it's very important. Uh, the word there is not the owner of the residence, um, but occupants. And it can't enter a residence, which is a home. So if we're talking about a shop or town hall or the barracks, anything along those lines, fair game. Harmed by running water, uh, the vampire takes 20 acid damage if it ends its turn in running water. So you can walk through it. You just can't stay in there. Stake to the heart. Um, if a pierced weapon made of wood is driven into the vampire's heart while the vampire is incapacitated, it's resting in its resting place, the vampire is paralyzed until the stake is removed. All of the stab it in the heart with a wooden stake and it just turns to dust thing does not happen in D&D. Sunlight hypersensitivity. Uh, vampire takes 20 radiant damage when it starts its turn in sunlight. While in sunlight, it has disadvantage on attack rolls and ability checks. So... If you basically uh, find a way 
to walk through sunlight and then enter um, uh, shade again. Uh, you actually aren't going to take damage from that. And um, the uh, 20 hit points, uh, I'm sorry, the 20 point regeneration at the start of its turn uh, isn't effective either because it's only at the start of its turn that that happens. So I think it's interesting that as long as you start your turn and end your turn out of the sun, you can literally walk through the sun as much as you want as a vampire, which, I don't know, seems weird to me. Uh, Multi-attack, it gets the uh, two attacks, only one of which can be a bite attack. Um, it has unarmed strike, uh, bite, and then charm um, as its main actions. Unarmed strike, the uh, vampire can choose to, instead of dealing damage, grapple the target. Once grappled, that uh, unlocks the ability for you to use the bite attack, which is uh, 1d6 plus 4 piercing damage. Not a big deal. Uh, but then you also gain uh, do the 3d6 necrotic damage, hit point reduction from that, as well as uh, regeneration for the vampire itself. Um, if a target is reduced to zero, then they come back as a vampire spawn um, the following night under the vampire's control. Also gains a pretty powerful charm. DC 17 wisdom saving throw against magic or the charmed by the vampire. Charmed by the vampire regards it as a trusted friend to be heated and protected. Although the target isn't under the vampire's control, it takes the vampire's request and actions in the most favorable way it can. And it is a willing target for the vampire's bite attack. Um, each time the vampire or the vampire's companions do anything harmful to the target, it can repeat the saving throw, ending the effect on itself on a success. Against Children of the Night. Uh, Children of the Night can basically be um, 2d4 swar swarms of bats or rats that can be uh, summoned as long as it's not in the sun. Uh, if it's outdoors, you can get 3d6 wolves instead. Shows up 1d4 rounds later under the vampire's control. And then comes with legendary actions. Move, an unarmed strike, or a bite. The bite costs two actions. Uh, we continue on and take a look at the layer. Uh, vampire's layer doesn't have any layer effects, um, except for the fact that it is typically guarded by vampire spawn or other loyal creatures of the night. Um, regional effects are just kind of what the vampire's lair does to the surrounding area. Increased population of bats, rats, and wolves. Plants within 500 feet of the lair wither and their stems and branches become twisted and thorny. Shadows cast 500 feet of the lair seem abnormally gaunt, sometimes move as though they're alive, and a creeping fog clings to the ground within 500 feet of the lair. The fog occasionally takes eerie forms, such as grasping claws and writhing serpents. The vampires destroyed the, those effects end in 2d6 days. Uh, the born from death is interesting. Um, basically says that the vampire can make a new true vampire by taking one of the vampire spawns that it has made, allowing it to drink some of its blood, and then it becomes a true vampire. But obviously loses its control, and says few vampires are willing to relinquish their control in this manner. And then also chained to the grave, they are bound to their coffin. If they weren't buried with a coffin, you have to have uh, you have to take some of the burial dirt with you to uh, enact a resting place. Uh, does not need air at all because it's undead. 
So a couple things here. There are things called vampire warriors. That's not what this is. There's also a vampire spellcaster. That's also not what this is. This is basically a super fancy uh, rogue. That's the easiest way to describe what's going on. And that's because uh, you get a plus nine to stealth. Um, you only get two actions a turn. And although you have a bunch of minions that you can summon with the Children of the Night thing, uh, you've only got uh, 16 armor class and 144 hit points for a challenge rating of 13. And so four level 13 characters, this is supposed to be the equivalent fight for that. Level 13 characters have seventh level spells. We're talking dramatic, game-changing spells. And so if you just throw the vampire at them, they're probably going to slap it down in three turns, especially if there's a paladin or a cleric in the party. Uh, it could happen uh, very, very easily. Uh, a smart druid that upcasts Moonbeam ends up dealing radiant damage. The vampire has disadvantage on the save and does a decent amount of damage. So, you know, if you've got a fifth level cast Moonbeam, you're talking about 5d10 damage uh, every single time that that happens. And as a shape changer, you have disadvantage on the save. The radiant damage turns off the regeneration uh, as well as all sorts of other things. So uh, that's a super easy and low level spell that you can use to help with this. Which means we need to be smart with how we use a vampire as opposed to just throwing it at them like it's a blunt object that you can then just beat the party with because that's not what it does. Vampire is something that is slow, methodical, takes time and goes out of its way to build its army, to build up the groups of individuals that work for it as far as vampires spawn are concerned as well as just regular humanoids. Uh, something similar to like a, a veteran or a knight stat block that the vampire has charmed. So although the charm is a one-time-per-turn deal, uh, it is designed as a way for the vampire to technically, in my opinion, uh, build out-of-combat resources. Um, so it says each time the vampire or the vampire's companions do anything harmful... Um, that happens. Otherwise, the effect lasts 24 hours or until the vampire is destroyed, is on a different plane of existence um, other than, you know, than, than the target or takes a bonus action to end the effect. So that charm is uh, strong enough that you could have seven characters, or I shouldn't say characters, you could have seven creatures charmed all by the vampire. It wears off every day, but the likelihood that a CR3 veteran is able to defeat the vampire in combat until the vampire can charm it is very, very small. So what we want to do is we want to almost treat this guy like he's a summoner uh, with a bunch of different vampire spawn as well as humanoids that are there with it. Um, it is shifty. Um, vampires in uh, 5e do not have a flight speed. So uh, sometimes uh, in lore, vampires have the ability to fly. In Dungeons and Dragons, they do not. And so what we want to do is we want to establish a base or a lair, a crypt, mausoleum, old castle, anything along those lines that we can uh, utilize 
as a base of operations for our vampire. They're able to sneak and move around and go about their business. Uh, And again, they can walk in the sun. They just can't end their turn in the sun, which uh, just boggles my mind. But that's neither here nor there. Um, And so the uh, other thing to note, it just needs to be an occupant that gives the vampire permission to enter a residence. And so that means one of your humanoids that you have charmed could enter a building and then invite the vampire in. And now the vampire is able to enter the particular location. Again, it's a residence. So if your vampire wants to enter the local tavern, he can just walk right in. There's nothing stopping him. And so utilizing a vampire almost feels like it should be your big bad for a uh, particular segment of your campaign or a particularly long quest line and have him be the culminating individual. The uh, vampires potentially uh, raiding the town of uh, humanoids and or uh, going about and extracting blood and victims and building his little army as he goes. In combat, we want to um, utilize our legendary actions to potentially move, make unarmed strikes, bite, all of those things based on what's available. Uh, I would try to stay away from armored targets with this with only a plus nine to hit. I want to uh, make sure that every one of my turns is lasting as long as possible. And the only way that I can do that is targeting something that's a little bit softer than the plate armored fighter. Um, Even if it was just a barbarian. Um, That way I have the ability to, um, again, I as I've said many times when we're creating combat encounters, I don't want to win. The goal is to lose. I also don't want to make things easy. The goal is to make it um, create anxiety and provide the perfect level of fear, but also heroic accomplishment. And the only way that we do that is by being smart with our our creatures that we use especially when they're not designed to just stand there and get in a fight. So that's pretty much the encounter. Um, I should say that's pretty much the creature. The way I see the encounter going is most likely you introduce this vampire against the party ahead of time. Uh, and so they, the vampire foils a plan, interrupts a plot, does something, messes stuff up, and you let the party kill it because what will happen is it will turn into this misty escape gas, fly far away to its, um, basically into its like little home, uh, the resting place, I believe is what it's called. And then it can come back. And so as long as the vampire, um, let's see, it must reach its resting place within two hours or be destroyed. Um, and then once it is a mist, it has a fly speed of 20 feet. And so that means it can move 40 feet every six seconds. Uh, so you've got some distance there that you can play with. And they defeat the vampire. It poofs into mist, flies away. They don't know where it went. It comes back 
I don't know, the next day, two days later, and does the same thing. And so this is the type of thing where it is a reoccurring encounter that this vampire is consistently showing up and interfering with the party and causing problems. Uh, with an intelligence of 17, um, as well as decent stats across the board, it is manipulative, it is cold, calculating, and going out of their way to ensure that they stay in power, building up their vampire spawn, maybe as a way to showcase that the vampire is really, really bad. The NPC that the party has been spending a lot of time with uh, ends up uh, being killed by the vampire and being turned into a vampire spawn. However it works for your campaign. But the idea here is that the vampire is a reoccurring bad guy and part of the encounter for the vampire is finding its resting place. Because until you find its resting place, you are basically unable to really kill it. And so that's what I mean by it should be more of a big bad with a reoccurring type of a situation as opposed to just like, uh, oops, here's a vampire, go ahead and fight it and see what happens type of thing. Uh, within the resting place, uh, I think that we should have the uh, old crypt, the old castle, or fortress, or whatever it is, be lined with sconces that provide light and shadow throughout the space. Uh, the party then gets used to that as they move through. And then one of the layer actions that the vampire can take is to extinguish all of those sconces to put the entire area in darkness. Uh, with 120 foot dark vision, uh, it has a better chance of being able to see the party. Most, and, uh, most characters are only going to have dark vision out to 60 feet, which means then they are blind beyond that uh, without a light source. And so the vampire would be able to see them, and then you can play guerrilla warfare hit-and-run tactics to target different players, uh, charm different characters, and really uh, force the encounter to be more nuanced and subtle than what it would otherwise be if you were just throwing a giant at them. So, that is Combat Corner for the week. Um, be smart with your vampire, because they are smart. Uh, thank you for joining me. I hope that you have a wonderful rest of your week. And as always, let's let the dice decide.